It's Muppeturgy with a finger-looking-good episode about the Roger Miller episode of The Muppet Show. Yay! Yum! Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. I'm David Levy. Here with me today are... Christy Bauer. Michal Richardson. And Adam Grossworth. Here is a Muppet News Flash! And we are here this week to talk about Season 3, Episode 21 of The Muppet Show. It was produced the week of January 16th, 1979, and it aired in New York City on May 14th, 1979. It was Episode 22 in the air order in between Leslie Ann Warren and Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. The next three episodes were actually the last three of the season to air in this order, so this is going to be the latest episode chronologically that we have discussed so far in our 1979 timeline. There is some confusion about the very last episode of the season, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Just you know, just so you know, there's more time travel still to come. In the news, the Rangers won the first game in the Stanley Cup Finals. We almost never talk about sports here, and they were on the front page, so why not? Things are going well in the U.S.-China trade talks, which we've mentioned before. A national health insurance bill was proposed by Senator Edward Kennedy, and I think we're all very glad that that passed. I'm, I'm kidding. It didn't, it didn't pass. Um, <laughs> uh, Bob Dole is running for president. How many times did Bob Dole run for president? I mean, don't most guys run for president like a gazillion times? I guess. I mean, not most guys, but like most guys who run for president. Right. <laughs> <laughs> every time in every young man's life. <laughs> I just feel like Bob Dole was ever present, and I, this is early. So anyway, the U.S. plan for the fall of Skylab includes medical aid. I should hope so. Do you guys remember this, David? Do you remember Skylab being a thing? Uh, I don't remember it when it was an active concern, but I certainly remember it being a reference that people made. Right. That's like the same for me. Like I remember the jokes about it like lasting for a long time. I have no memory of this. Uh, Skylab was the first U.S. space station. Uh, its orbit uh, decayed. Uh, I think the plan was for it to be like sort of rescued by the space shuttle, but the space shuttle wasn't ready in time. And so it fell to Earth like uh, on purpose. It was abandoned, and there was concern that it would hit something or someone or land in a populated area. Um, Yikes. Long story short, it didn't It didn't do that. <laughs> but it was a thing. It was like a, a big deal. Luckily, um, we have oceans. Yes. <laughs> Lots of to work out. Very large areas where no one lives. Um, and also like things, you know, break up in the atmosphere when they fall from space. So uh, it was fine. But um, it was a big deal. And so like, you know, NASA had to be like, it's okay, we have a we have backup plans. And you know, if it lands on your house, we've got you covered. Like, it's, you know, it's, 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 Thanks, NASA. Yeah, we'll, we'll pay for stuff. It's okay. Well, that to the Wicked Witch of the East. Uh, on the Cash Pop Pop Charts, uh, the number one song was Reunited by Peaches and Herb. And it feels so good. It does feel so good. Um, why were they never on The Muppet Show? Alas. Feels like a natural fit. Uh, number one album, once again, Spirits Having Flown. On TV... At uh, six o'clock, this is a thing I just had never noticed before, uh, and like I said, we're we're later in the in the year than we've been so far. At six o'clock on channels fifty and sixty-eight on your UHF dial, Uncle Floyd. So New Yorkers of a certain age <laughs> will recognize Uncle Floyd. 
Um, and I won't, I won't get too deep into it, but if I can find some clips, I'll put them in the show notes. Um, but if you've seen weird Al's UHF, uh, it was a great debt to uncle Floyd. And, um, I think he just fucked up a lot of us as children and explains a great deal about, uh, New York city area Gen Xers. Yeah. 630 on channel nine bowling for dollars. Another thing that I know as a reference and have like not seen on our TV listings before now. That was a Saturday morning thing in Massachusetts. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think I ever realized it was real and not like an SNL sketch, but here we are. On Channel 7 at 7.30, I'd Rather Be Dead, a look at the alarming increase in teenage suicide narrated by Dick Van Patten. (laughs) A lot of those things don't feel like they quite go together. (laughs) Glad I'm not the only one who laughed at that. Thank you for making me feel better. On the Channel 2 News, a John Stossel special report on exercise myths, workout, or ripoff. I just feel like that could absolutely still be a, an evening news story. Tonight's In Search of King Tut. They found him in 1922 They did, they did so. find him. I, I didn't watch it, uh, so I cannot report. Uh, but I do remember King Tut was huge at this time. Like, there was that touring exhibit and stuff. And the Steve Martin nonsense. Ah. Uh. Yeah in primetime uh i guess sweeps must be over (laughs) is what's happening here because on cbs we have the 1972 movie snoopy come home followed by reruns of mash and lou grant on nbc this does feel a little sweepsy bob hope at the palladium richard burton raquel welch and other entertainers pay tribute to the london theater on the 25th anniversary of the comedian's first appearance there okay (laughs) Okay, Another two things that don't feel like they go together. Future resting place of Bruce Forsyth. Right. London Palladium. And remember, Bob Hope is himself British, which is the thing that we tend to forget. Yeah. Right. It just feels like, are we celebrating Bob Hope or the Palladium? Yes. Right. Anyway, NBC Theater, which I think is new branding, Sunrise, that's S-O-N- hyphen rise colon a miracle of love that sounds like an easter movie yeah it It does and yet the parents of an autistic son refuse to accept a gloomy medical prognosis and devise their own successful therapy therapy for themselves or for their son for the son Uh for the son okay (laughs) s-o-n dash rise starring james farantino and Catherine harold and featuring a song by debbie boone i did a little research based on a true story uh, apparently, the f- like one of the first fairly realistic depictions of autism on film or TV. This guy's still around. The the dad is still around, and this treatment is controversial, and we don't need to talk about it. But uh, it's a thing, so you can Google it. And then on ABC, Salvage One, and then this truly might be the wildest thing that I have come across in three seasons of this podcast television annual 1978-1979 the first annual special presenting highlights from the past season on the three networks so it's a here's what you missed on i have a lot of questions about this (laughs) why i do too (laughs) why 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 I understand doing this as a season preview. Well, I was just going to say, do you remember yeah. season previews? I used to love those. I would yeah. like, mark my calendar and pop popcorn. But a season review just feels like we have nothing to put on the air <laughs> filling time. 
This is just a bleak evening of TV, no matter what channel you're on. Have you ever seen Snoopy come home? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. Yes. It's the really weird, depressing one with Sherman Brothers songs for some reason. It's something. Our special guest star is the one and only, sure to please or guarantee your money back, Mr. Roger Miller. Roger Miller, singer, songwriter, and wild child. Born in Fort Worth, Texas in 1936, young Roger was sent to live on his uncle's farm after his father died when he was just one year old. He grew up dirt poor, helping out with the farm work and learning guitar from his cousin's husband, Sheb Woolley. If that name is familiar, it's because he was the singer-songwriter who gave us the Purple People Eater. At age 17, Miller was so desperate to be a musician that he stole a guitar, but then he turned himself in the next day. And to avoid serving jail time, he enlisted and shipped off to Korea, leaving behind a new wife. After returning to the States, he joined a military band, and when he was discharged, he headed to Nashville to make a go of it. In Nashville, Minnie Pearl hired him to fiddle in her band, and George Jones helped him get a recording gig with a label based in Houston. And they collaborated on a couple of new songs, one of which would be recorded by Rolf's pal, Jimmy Dean. Jimmy and Roger teamed up to record Roger's first single, which didn't go anywhere. He kept plugging along and eventually connected with Ray Price, who hired him to be in his band and relocated him back to Nashville. At that time, Roger's song Invitation to the Blues was becoming a hit for Rex Allen, and when Ray Price recorded it, it hit number three. By the late 50s, Roger was a successful songwriter. In 1958, he recorded a couple of singles for Decca, and he started to make an impact as a performer. But his real breakthrough as a singer came in 1960 when he signed with RCA and Chet Atkins took on the role of producer for him. In August of that year, Roger recorded You Don't Want My Love, a.k.a. In the Summertime, which you might remember from the Kay Ballard episode of The Muppet Show, and which you might remember from the Roger Miller episode of The Muppet Show. The song reached number 24 on the country charts and had a hit crossover version by Andy Williams. Within a year, he was in the top 10, but he wasn't making a lot of money, and his wild lifestyle was using up what money he had, and destroying his marriage. Before long, his relationship with both his wife and with RCA would end. He would be married twice more and record with quite a few more record labels over the course of his life. Roger's old friend Jimmy Dean threw him a lifeline when he guest-hosted The Tonight Show and invited Roger to perform. This helped him land a deal at Smash Records that enabled him to move to Los Angeles. His first album with Smash included the song Dang Me, which was a hit on both the pop and country charts. More on that in a bit. More hits would follow, with Roger carving out a niche at the intersection of country, pop, and novelty music. The song that I think of as his biggest hit, King of the Road, was released in early 1965 and hit number one on the country charts and stayed there for five weeks. It also hit number four in the pop charts and was certified gold when it sold more than a million copies. That same year, Roger won his first five Grammy Awards, including the award for Best New Country and Western Artist. He would ultimately win 11 Grammys in total. The following year, he had his own TV show on NBC. He continued recording both his own songs and covers. In 1974, he wrote songs and provided a voice for Disney's Robin Hood. No shade, but I just learned this week that he did not write the song Love from that movie, which is the one that was nominated for a Best Song Oscar. That's okay. It's also like not a great song. It's probably the and most forgettable song. <laughs> Disney song to be nominated for an Oscar. In 1985, he wrote the score for the Broadway musical Big River, which is an adaptation of Huckleberry Finn, and he became the first country star to win a Tony Award when the show's score was honored. He would later join the cast, replacing John Goodman in the role of Pat Finn. And it's interesting, he's recorded a number of songs from Big River, but not the one that he sang 
when he was in the show, as far as I can tell. In 1991, Miller learned that he had lung cancer, and he died in 1992 at the age of 56. In 1995, Roger Miller was posthumously inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Does anyone have Roger Miller memories? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go <No>. on. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I, I, I love Roger Miller, like, a lot. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, I, I was one of those kids that, you know, Robin Hood was my first introduction to him. But, you know, at, I grew up as a lot of our listeners know in Kentucky. And so my, my grandparents played a lot of mid-century country and Roger Miller was very emblematic of a particular interesting crossover moment in country. And so uh, he, he sort of speaks to a sensibility that is very near and dear to my heart, but also um Roger Miller was really hot when he was young. <laughs> oh, tell us more. As we have discussed on this podcast before. We have discussed it, you know, we we, we bottled it up a little bit, but um yeah, I I, sh- I shared a picture in our Slack that I collectively ruined all four of us at one point. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, I I I I love Roger Miller. I love Roger Miller. I I just he he had this wit that people don't normally uh, associate with country music. And part of it was just, he he found such delight in the malleability of language. And some of the songs in this episode kind of speak to that. And like some of it, like sometimes like on first listen, it sounds like nonsense. (laughs) On third listen, it sounds like more nonsense. (laughs) We, we 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 can you know split hairs when when we get to the hairs, but uh, I mean to be fair, I think it's I think he's doing something on purpose with the nonsense. I don't yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but yes I uh, I love him I love him I love him. Wow, giving Harry Belafonte a run for his money. <laughs> yeah, don't tell him. Oh, okay. Or just get him together. We we were not a country music household, as I believe has come up on this podcast before. <laughs> but as I know has come up on this podcast before, uh, in the Peter Ustinov episode, we were a Robin Hood household. I had the like record version of the Robin Hood movie. I don't know why. Like I don't know why that Disney movie and not others, probably just because it was contemporary. And it's weird because like as much as this is not my music and and uh we'll get into my thoughts about the songs in this episode. Like I, I love that movie and and I love those songs and like I just I keep forgetting that that's him. I forgot it when we talked about whenever he came up before or if it was Peter Ustinov. Like I just fully forget <laughs> that that's like a, a really important voice of my childhood, which is weird. But yeah, so there is there is that um, very key connection for me. Similarly, uh, I did grow up with Robin Hood, but also Big River was the first. Uh, Broadway-sized show that I saw. I saw the first national tour. Uh, and so I was totally obsessed with it and had the tape and I had the sheet music and I had the script and and memorized all of it and, you know, sang and played and whatever. So I didn't really know anything else about Roger Miller. And I don't even know if I connected that to Robin Hood until I was much older. Um, but, but that music was very formative for me when I was little. And then probably the next time I encountered him was... 
uh, REM recorded a cover of King of the Road. And I think that's probably like my introduction to his non-musical theater style music. And I really like that song. I can't say that I really like much of his other music, uh, although I don't really hate it, but it's just not, not, not David music. Uh, but I, but I appreciate his place in the culture. That song's in a, was in a series of commercials for a long time. Yes. I assume for cars, trucks, I think. Well, yeah, but you know, like GMC or something. So I don't think it was his recording. I think it was a cover, uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, just going off the voice. I have, I have, I didn't look it up. Uh, but yeah, so like it was that song was like deeply present if you ever turned on a TV <laughs> in like the 80s and 90s. Since King of the Road doesn't actually get performed uh, in this episode, I just want to put in a plug f- for our listeners to look up the Proclaimers recording of it. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's delightful, but their accents are so thick that it's oh my god, you know. Is the road 500 miles long. Yeah, King of the Rude. Anyway, it's it's beautiful. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to this. On that note, why don't you get me I don't think there has been, and there may not be again, a greater disconnect between an episode that I enjoyed so much and a guest star who was so not for me. <laughs> but uh, that made this fun um, and interesting, Christy. Given your feelings about Mr. Miller, uh, yes. how did you feel about the episode? Oh, man, this is a dang delight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I acknowledge that Roger Miller is an acquired taste, and obviously I've acquired it. Um, so <laughs> I, I know that I bring that? A, a bias to the table with this, but I also think the overall conceit of this pays off so beautifully in the end that like, you don't even have to be into the Roger Miller of it all. It's not a great UK spot. And there's one sketch in this that I fucking hate, but overall I had a blast. David. Yeah. I think I like the backstage plot of this so much that it almost doesn't matter what happens in between those segments. Uh, And also this is a backstage plot that is, really burned into my memory from whenever I saw it before, even though, again, like none of these songs have really stuck with me. So I, I like the episode overall. I think it really speaks to how how far a good backstage plot can go to push an episode into the good column. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's uh, maybe not a favorite, but, but, but probably close. Michal? Yeah, what a delightful time. And also, what a well-constructed episode of The Muppet Show and well-executed episode of The Muppet Show. Um, I think maybe I'm having a little bit of disconnect between how much I enjoyed the episode, which was a lot, but then also how much I'm appreciating how well done it was, which was even a lot more than that. Because mm-hmm. um, there's there's a lot of joy in this episode and so much fun. And then also there is so much that they've done to carry through the plot into all the sketches and all the songs. And there's also a lot of really beautiful puppeteering and really clever character design. Um, because as the characters are turning into chickens, as we will be discussing shortly, um, they still act like themselves and still look like themselves, even as they are also looking and acting like chickens. 
And I noticed this especially with the Richard Hunt characters. We, they're all good at their jobs. We always talk about how Frank Oz is good at his job. Richard Hunt, also really good at his job, in case you had forgotten that there are lots of great puppeteers on this show. <laughs> um, Chicken Scooter moves recognizably like Scooter. Not just that his glasses make him look recognizably like Scooter, but the style of puppeteering is recognizable. So that's a fun detail. And there are lots of other fun details over the course of the episode, like, oh, the Floyd chicken has eyes like Floyd, and they blink like Floyd's eyes, and Miss Piggy looks like Miss Piggy. It's a good time. Yeah, let's get into it. Roger Miller, 15 seconds to curtain, Mr. Miller. Okay, thank you, Scooter. Seems kind of quiet around here for a Muppet show. When do things start jumping? Oh, just about now! <laughs> <laughs> also, Roger Miller is having such a great time already. I'm, I am all about it. Um, but yes, his question about when things will start jumping is answered when things do indeed start jumping. And in this case, the things are the furniture all around him, and then they are joined by a kangaroo who encourages the furniture to jump. I was really happy to see the kangaroo uh, again, though it made me wish that Roger Miller had been the one to sing timey kangaroo down sport i think <laughs> wouldn't that have been fun it, that, that's a, there's a nice stylistic match there there are a few muppets and the kangaroo is one of them there was something last week that we didn't t- oh the lion that like look a little they don't sort of look like they quite belong in the family but i enjoy them like, anyway like the kangaroo is very cute the kangaroo is very cute and yeah maybe a little more towards I, w- I want to say church puppet, even though I'm not from the background of people who know what church puppets are supposed to look like. But yeah, I don't know. No, what it, it looks like a church puppet. I- okay. <laughs> yeah, like the kangaroo doesn't quite look like he belongs, but but he's real, real cute. And I felt the same way about the lion in the stolen episode. Um, Jay, yeah, he was well intentioned. Yeah, he was really adorable. <laughs> I love how Roger Miller talks about like I thought that a Muppet show is supposed to be blah 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 like. A Muppet Show? Roger, you're on The Muppet Show. (laughs) The one and only. He does noticeably flub his lines multiple times. Yes. And they just just keep going. He is not a natural. He is clearly having a good time and happy to be there, which is not... I don't always feel like the the stiffer actors don't don't always give off such a good vibe. So he gets away with it, but he he definitely trips over his words uh, a few times. You know, it's funny, and, and in his official biography on his website, it talks a lot about how he saw television as the most natural destination for his talents. And that's where he really wanted to aim his career. But then you look at his resume and he didn't do a lot of television. He didn't do a lot of movies. So uh, there's a little bit of that disconnect. Well, but when, when he's singing, like whatever my personal opinion about him as a musical performer, like when he's singing, he is a total like, natural you know charisma machine like i get i get it he seems to have a great rapport with the muppets i mean even if he's flubbing his lines a little bit he's having fun being on stage with them while he's you know in dialogue with them but especially when he's singing yeah he seems to really i I can can see why he might think that like belonging on like a variety show as a singer just not as an actor right i do think that he's very good with the camera he sounds fine in robin hood also that. Statler and Waldorf's box has been invaded. 
Don't look now, but I think there's penguins among us. Yeah, that's it. They're just surrounded by penguins. It's very cute. Gonzo blows his trumpet, and butterflies emerge, and they're lovely. Shout out to David for the assist on this. It was on the tip of my tongue, and I could not remember who wrote this piece of music, but it's Mendelssohn's uh, Spring Song from Songs Without Words, Book 5, Opus 62. And it's sometimes known in England as Camberwell Green, because that's the place in London where Felix Mendelssohn was staying when he wrote it. Hmm. Cute. Shout out to Camberwell Green. Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage. So backstage this week, something is foul in the Muppet Theater. There's an epidemic of cluckitis running rampant in the Muppet Theater. Muppets are turning into chickens left and right. Hey, you're kind of uh, new around here, aren't you? Turns <laughs> out, uh, a minute ago, this chicken was a penguin. Yes! So how God. could this have happened? Ah, I think I know. What? Well, it looks to me like an outbreak of... And I could use a dramatic sting here. Turns out, never mind the dramatic sting, an outbreak of what? An outbreak of... Cluckitis! Cluckitis? <laughs> there's some really fun puppetry that happens in this scene when Kermit says, well, you're an expert on chickens and Gonzo like does this knowing Muppety head Bob when he says, I'd like to think so. (laughs) He knows his way around a chicken (laughs) and then he like waggles his eyelids. It's, it is especially gorgeous puppetry and it is also especially smarmy. There's also a nice bit uh, after he says yuck and the chicken who is, I think it's Steve Whitmer, right? Uh, yeah. The, and the chicken does a little shrug. <laughs> like, eh. <laughs> Take it or leave it. I, I was hotter as a penguin. He's not wrong. You know, like, it's just, there's a <laughs> lot of really cute stuff going on. I don't buy that Gonzo is disgusted by the idea that he used to be a penguin. I mean, just because he's attracted to many birds, including Big Bird, <laughs> I think- doesn't mean he's attracted to every single bird. I disagree. <laughs> oh, I think I, I think first of all, I think Gonzo fucks anything with a pulse, and probably things that also don't have pulses. But I, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Muppets don't have pulses. I, I guess to be fair, <laughs> ghosts, Michal, ghosts. <laughs> oh, whew, okay, <laughs> amoeba, whatever you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just, I feel like Gonzo isn't, I, I feel like Gonzo likes all birds, or at least all poultry. Is penguin <laughs> poultry? Fowl, I believe. Waterfowl. Uh, what is the difference between I don't know. Poultry? Please, I knew you were going to ask as soon as I said it. <laughs> yeah, that feels like a, a butcher question, not I a- just want you to know that when you type into Google, are penguins, one of the things that comes up is, are penguins necrophiliacs? <laughs> I'm not clicking on that one. Okay, I'm going to push right past that to something actually not much better. This sort of read as a as an as a trance joke, which they wouldn't have called it at the time because in the next scene uh there is a there is a chicken a chicken born chicken at the desk. Um <laughs> and Kermit and Kermit says, "Were you always a chicken?" Or have you always been a chicken? And the chicken gets very offended. And then Scooter is like, I saw what you just said to that chicken. <laughs> and right. And then like this, this whole thing of like, oh, well, you know, 
that chicken used to be a penguin and you shouldn't want to fuck it. Like, you know, I don't think it's, it's as mean spirited as all that, but I do sort of wonder if that's a little bit of the, of the joke here. It's hard to imagine that there were shades of that in this episode of the Muppet show. I mean, maybe there were, I don't, like I said, I don't think like deeply intentionally, like I'm not, I'm not ascribing any malice to the, to, to them making that joke. I think it would have been like a perfectly normal, casual joke for them to make. I could also be totally overthinking it, but uh, that's what we do here. So <laughs> that's our whole job. Here I am. <laughs> speaking of, do you want to talk to us about cluckitis? I speaking of overthinking it. Uh, I, you know, I, this came up in a past episode and I don't remember why, but because we are pedants, the suffix itis means inflammation. So cluckitis is inflammation, inflammation of, the of the chicken. <laughs> Not even. Of the Just cluck. of the cluck. For listeners who don't remember, and why would you? My my mother, who is in no way a medical professional at all, for some reason, like gets annoyed about this and instilled it in me, shared this with me at a very young age, and so now I get annoyed about it. What what Thanks, flavor Mom. of pedant is your mother? This one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Obviously. Um, but it's like a thing that I like whenever it came up, whenever somebody would make a joke like this on TV, my mom would be like, that's not what that means. And so it has now been <laughs> transferred to me and I transfer it to all of you. Much like cluckitis getting transferred all over the Muppet theater. <laughs> exactly. And You're as welcome. with so many other notorious ailments, uh, this one originated in birds and then it crossed over to other non birds <laughs> oh, no. or whatever the Muppets are. It was a penguin uh, first, and then it was the Swedish chef, and then it was pretty much everybody else. When the Swedish chef turns into a chicken, on the one hand, it's kind of great. You know that the chicken is the Swedish chef because he retains the chef's eyebrows and no eyes. But also, a chicken with no eyes and bushy eyebrows is a horrible demon from hell. Kill it, dead, kill it with fire, kill it now. <laughs> Counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> I love every single one of these chicken puppets. <laughs> Mikhail really already covered all of this. So there's no need to repeat it, but they're so cute. And I love how much they look like the Muppets they have turned from. They're, they're great. The <laughs> little Robin, all. the little Robin chick. is <laughs> yes. so cute. Robin turns into, I mean, not a Muppet chicken puppet, but into a little yellow fluffy chick. It's really cute. At first, I thought they were just replacing the eyes, but I think they did more. Like, Scooter's beak is, like, a little flatter than a regular Muppet chicken beak, I think. Yeah, Pinky's, um, what do you call it, a wardle? Felt a little more glamorous than some of the others. Yeah. I don't know how to describe that, but... They're, re- they're so great. Waddle. Waddle. And she's got the pearls, and she's got the makeup. Like, you know immediately who it is. Yeah, it's I mean, for fantastic. a lot of them, it probably is mostly or entirely the eyes, but it's still pretty nifty that they're able to do that. And nifty that the Muppets have such emblematic character design that if you put Janice eyes on a chicken, you know that it's Janice. Uh, Sidebar. I have found the previous reference to Itis. Uh, Uh, It was actually the same joke. It's in the Lou Rawls episode in the Muppet news flash and an outbreak of malarditis, a disease which causes people. uh, So, Not only the same pedantry, but the same basic joke. <sighs> so everyone's turning into chickens. Kermit is determined to hide it from the guest star. 
not sure why. I mean, he just doesn't want Roger Milley to panic. By the way, this is terrible workplace safety policy. <laughs> Send everyone home. There's an epidemic. I guess then you're spreading, you're spreading clockitis through... Yeah, if you if you send them home, you're spreading clockitis throughout the entire city where the Muppet Theater is, wherever that may be. Yeah, they should all stay quarantined in the theater. Yeah, quarantine everyone in their dressing rooms. We've learned. Well, they didn't know. I mean, they also still don't know how it spreads. Because it just spontaneously happened to that penguin. We don't know the, where the penguin got it. They didn't have testing and tracing. Anyway, Kermit is attempting to hide this from Roger Miller, which is impossible. because. Muppets are turning into chickens left and right, and Muppet whatnots are turning into chickens before Roger Miller's very eyes while he is on stage and singing to them. Although he manages to not actually look at them when that's I don't think that has that happened yet when the scene happens. I think so. Well, that happens. That's the next the next scene. Yeah, after they talk, Kermit tries throughout to hide it from Roger Miller. At some point in between some of these conversations, Roger Miller finds out he also has seen Robin transform. We also learn near the end of the episode that Roger Miller is not only familiar with cluckitis, but a survivor. True. <laughs> well, let's, let's hear the, let's hear the first clip first. Show going really. Uh, uh, fine. Fine. Oh, any problems? No, no. Smoothest show ever. Good. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to your final number. Oh, good. I only hope I don't turn chicken before I do it. <laughs> what? what? Why? Oh, I just mean stage nerves, you know, I always get them. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, good that a big star like you uh, uh, still gets uh, chickens. I mean, butterflies. <laughs> so we don't quite know what Roger Miller knew and when he knew it. But, I mean, you get the sense that he's messing with Kermit. He's having a good time. And then yeah. Lou Zealand comes in as a chicken and shows his boomerang egg act. This may be my favorite moment of the episode. <laughs> Roger Miller just looks right into the camera and says, I gotta say it, these are the yolks, folks. And then he does this giggle and hugs New Zealand, and it's it's just marvelous. What a fun episode. Anyway, as everyone is transforming into chickens, uh, the backstage is just filling with hay and transforming into a chicken coop. <laughs> it's a good time. The teacup on Kermit's desk is replaced with a, an egg cup with, I assume, a soft-boiled egg in it, which has some strange implications. Kermit is still a frog at this point. So if he True. eats eggs, is it an ethical so Either pottery? someone has laid that egg, or someone is going to eat that egg, or both. Well, I had the same thought when New Zealand is throwing the eggs. Like, are, also first of all, true. is New Zealand laying eggs? Because that raises all sorts of questions. Okay, this gets to a thing that I was going to bring up later, but I have a lot of questions about these chickens as far as gender goes. Because... Almost all of them turned into hens, but there's like a random rooster hanging out on the upper level backstage, and then like he turns up in the closing number. Well, but, that's like, that's yeah, what's there his are name. Cool roosters. There's the rooster David. is the rooster's already and, a rooster. Yeah, we know that rooster. I forget his name. Yeah. Well, so do, do the Muppets turn into chickens, and this has just summoned the the ensemble of Muppet roosters? Like when there are chickens around, the roosters show up. Yeah, Christy, I wondered about that too. Um, because they're they're definitely turning into female chickens uh, almost across the board, possibly with the exception of the two roosters or the roosters just showed up. But yeah, Gonzo refers to them as girls when he walks through this crowd of chickens. 
Well, Gonzo can't be trusted. Well, I think well, that, maybe <laughs> Muppet chickens are girls the way that cats are girls and dogs are boys. What? <laughs> cats are girls oh, and dogs are boys. You've also been talking to my mother, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Is your mother that. a pedant about all cats being girls? I've never heard of this. That's because you didn't grow up in America. <laughs> <laughs> my mother firmly believes that all cats are girls and all dogs are boys, having never had a pet in her entire life. I grew up speaking a language where nouns do have gender, but in English, dogs don't inherently have one gender or another. Clearly you never saw the classic animated film, All Dogs Go to the Boys' Room. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I didn't. No, they only screened that in South Carolina. (laughs) Neither rooster is in the Muppets character encyclopedia. I'm sad. I'm shocked that TR is not. Yeah, me too. Anyway, by the end of the episode... Everyone, including Kermit, has transformed. Except for Gonzo. I guess Gonzo has gotten immunity somehow. We know how. We know I how. Mean, <laughs> right. Somehow or another. By injection. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kermit. Uh, you have turned into a chicken, haven't you? Oh, it is so humiliating, Roger. Everybody has. You know, you know what it is. I think you have clochitis. What? You've heard of clochitis? Oh, I had it one time, but... It's nothing really for you to worry about, Kermit, because in a few days it'll go it'll go away and you'll be just like you always were. But until then, you'll look great. Gonzo! Thanks, Gonzo. I don't know how to feel about Gonzo being attracted to all the other Muppets as long as they are chickens. That feels like a bigger question to me than the gender question. Well, they're related, those questions. R- right. Kermit looks great to Gonzo, as long as Kermit is a chicken. I don't know. Anyway, the Muppet chickens in the orchestra playing the outro are especially wonderful. Muppets playing instruments are great. Muppet chickens playing instruments are ten times as great. Also, Rolf is now two chickens. There are two chickens playing the piano, and I'm guessing they're both Rolf. Maybe one of them is Dr. Teeth. Maybe. But I want Ralph to be two chickens. <laughs> Get, getting us out of here. <laughs> Clicking the button, getting us out of here. Oh, we, 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 we're so close to derailing, but we got to get this hobo train back on track. Or this penguin boat back on the water. Uh, in spite of all of the, the chickens in this episode, we do, in fact, open... With a band of pilgrim penguins. It's Alabama bound. It is a song from 1924. So shout out to the public domain. The music is by Ray Henderson and the lyrics are by Buddy De Silva and Bud Green. Yep, took two people to write the lyrics to that song. And it was originally a hit for Al Jolson, who apparently sang it 
any time he could. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. I just hear Alabama and I'm like, nope, nope. So something's not right there. But apparently uh, at the height of its popularity, it was added to a Broadway show called Kid Boots, uh, where it was sung by Eddie Cantor. And I read a little bit about Kid Boots. Kid Boots was billed as a musical comedy of Palm Beach and golf. Sure. Sure. So like Mar-a-Lago, the musical. Anyway, back to Pilgrim Penguins. This is fun. I thought this was a really interesting looking number. Yeah. So it starts with sort of a, a wide shot of this boat on the water where, so clearly the water is like a different shot than the boat itself, which is an effect we've seen every time they've done anything on a boat on the Muppet show. But the boat is painted in such a way that in that first shot, I wasn't quite sure if we were seeing a real set piece or just like a piece of animation or what was going on. And it's not until the shot changes to a closer up shot of the penguins that you realize that it's just real old fashioned theatrical painting. So it's like a very much a two dimensional boat painting, but with, with that sort of three dimensional painting on a flat surface. It's very cool. Very pretty. Makes a neat effect. And then on top of that, there's so many penguins, right? Uh, and they're they're basically, for most of this, in two rows. And it wasn't until the second time I watched this that I realized that only the penguins in the front row are singing, and the penguins in the back row are all basically on sticks that are nailed together so that one puppeteer can be making four of them dance at a time. And they're they're mostly just sort of swaying, and but they're... They're rigged in such a way so that when they sway, like the mouths kind of bounce with the motion, whatever. It's very clever. It's very cute. You do end up seeing a lot of sleeves of puppeteers if you're paying close attention, just because it's so raucous and the edge of the ship is not quite as clean as the edge of like a wall that a puppeteer might stand behind. Uh, But who cares? It's so much fun. Yeah, I freaking love this. And you, you've answered some of my questions about how could they have possibly had enough people to operate all those puppets? <laughs> but they they get a lot of use out of having just that many penguins when some of them turn around and some of them lean over the side of the ship. I really enjoyed the penguin choreography, which is not a thing I say often, but I wish I had an excuse to say more often. Also, I learned that there's a Muppet Wiki page for throwing penguins, and it's full of gifts, and it brings me endless joy. Maybe it will bring you endless joy as well. Penguins hurling themselves in the air. What could be better? I'm a total sucker for that. The Plymouth Rock joke. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> good. It's a good one. I mean, it it's not. the lily a bit. Yeah, it's, they t- <laughs> it's terribly stupid, but I, I love it. <laughs> but, it. But it is of a piece with the the whole thing, which is in right. itself really doofy. <laughs> right. And like that they keep in all the train noises, even though they're on a boat. I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. so stupid. I love it. I love the train noises. They have no yeah. reason to be there, but I love them. You know, I thought the Pilgrim Fathers were against show business. They were against entertainment. This doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our first Roger Miller song is, in fact, a repeat song for The Muppet Show. In the summertime, when all the trees and leaves are green, and the redbird sings out the blue, cause you don't want my love. Some other time, that's what you say when I want you. Then you laugh at me and make me cry, cause you don't want my love. 
Fred, you don't seem to care a thing about me. You gotta live without me. Think I have my arms around you when nights are cold. You're so all alone. I, I like actually <laughs> shuddered at the end when he did that. I wonder whether you were going to get out of the clip before he started scatting. I, oh, I think he's going to do it. No. Deliberately kept it in so that we could talk about it. Uh-huh. There's just something about his voice. Like, I recognize that he is talented. <laughs> I do. But there's something about his voice, at least in this era, because, again, I quite like Robin Hood, which was a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Just, it's not like, it's not like Bob Dylan. <laughs> but it's like, it's getting there. It's, just, it's not for me. We have talked about the song before, so we won't go too deep on it, but um, depending on which version you encounter in the wild, it's either called In the Summertime or You Don't Want My Love. Roger Miller wrote it in 1960, and uh, Andy Williams had a, a hit with it, and the country trio performed it in season one. But but here it is Roger Miller singing it in a watermelon patch, uh, dressed as a fancy man. He's dressed as a fancy man. I guess my question is: Is he dressed like a slave-owning plantation owner? That's my question. Oh, oh, maybe. I just read it that he was like courting a lady. Yeah, or like that was like a wedding suit or something. Like he'd been stood up. <laughs> it's a very fancy suit. I spent probably too much time on the internet trying to figure out like what what this trope was that I felt had been invoked by this outfit and the fact that he's standing in a watermelon patch. Well, and like all the furniture being outside too it, it, it seemed odd to me. Like it's not just a rocking chair, it's also like a sideboard and like some other stuff. Yeah, surrounded by tchotchkes and hat racks. And yeah, I mean, maybe his love has thrown him out and he's just wearing his fanciest outfit because everything else is in the wash. I don't know. I mean, the the look is also a little bit Mr. Peanut. Yeah. (laughs) As if Mr. Peanut was not a slaveholding plantation owner. (laughs) Come on. I, I looked around a lot for the like Southern planter or gentleman planter look, but. If if you only spend a little bit of time looking for gentleman planter, you get actual planters for sale, like to put your plants in. So. Are they shaped like gentlemen? <laughs> I didn't make that much headway. But I, there's something going on here, and I haven't gotten into it enough to be able to tell you definitively. Sometimes I wonder if they're just like, wouldn't it be weird if, and roll with it, right? Like, it doesn't actually have more depth to it than that. Yeah. I mean, maybe well, we you, can cut my musing about this, but no, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think we should, I had a similar thought. I just didn't dive into it quite as deeply as you did. They've given themselves an interesting design challenge. Also, which doesn't explain his outfit, but, and I, I also, I feel like I should say, because I shit all over, uh, Roger Miller <laughs> before Christy could even tell us about the song that like, even though his voice annoys me, I this is so delightful because the fucking watermelons are so cute. They're so cute. It's just a patch of watermelons playing guitar and bass. But it's an interesting Muppet problem because you have your your 
your guest star, who is a a normal sized human who spends most of the number standing up, and then all of your performers are on the ground and cannot go anywhere. <laughs> Like even more so than more Muppets normally are stuck on the ground and cannot go anywhere. And so I wonder if they just sort of felt the need to like put stuff on the set for visual interest, which is why there's like a hat rack and whatever else. And then they were like, well, now we need to dress you to match this furniture. <laughs> and we huh. have accidentally created a plantation outside in this watermelon field. Do you think the hat rack is the one who wrote the sketch? <laughs> wrote itself into the sketch r.i.p hat rack i thought you were going to say they solved this by having roger miller sit down in the middle of the watermelon patch and just which yes which he does later on and which i kept which all i was thinking was like that's a very nice suit stop sitting in the dirt i mean i worried about that i worried about the pants um but i also was thinking about that photo of roger miller that we will definitely share in the show notes (laughs) that as soon as he sat down cross-legged i was like oh yeah Hmm. <laughs> I mean, he does have the beard now, but it's that pose. I don't know, man. I like this, but given that we already got a performance of this song in an earlier episode, I really wish they'd given us King of the Road or even England Swings, one of his other hit songs that I feel like they could have done something fun with. Uh, this this was fun, but it's not a song I love, and it's definitely not a song I love enough to want to have two different versions of so oh man i'm imagining a a really good england swings uk spot yeah Hmm. yeah could he have sung king of the road with these adorable watermelons though because he's a great king of the road with talking trucks little muppet trucks not as cute as watermelons it might have been i don't know we've never seen them what not hobos yeah arthur arthur don't you mean author, author? His name's Arthur. Arthur Miller. No, no, no. It's Roger Miller. Oh. Roger, Roger! Okay, I'm not big on, um, like, Muppet fan casting, but uh, now oh. I, need to, I need to see Muppet Death of a Salesman now. Oh. We're free and clear, you, Kirby. We're free it? and clear. <laughs> Muppet After the Fall, Muppet Incident of Vichy. Disney's Muppet Jim Henson's The Muppets, even Evo Van Ho's View from the Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't enough female Muppets to do the Crucible. Uh, do you want to hear my Crucible casting? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Proctor, Miss Piggy. Mm-hmm. Abigail, Annie Sue. Judge Danforth, Sam the Eagle, obviously. Uh, Reverend Hale, Bunsen, Thomas Putnam, Beaker. Giles Corey, Kermit, Martha Corey, Janice. They pressed him for sure. Uh, <laughs> Kichiba, Kiki Palmer, John Proctor, Adam Driver. <laughs> uh, do you have Death of a Salesman? I, I don't. That Chris will see only one I know well enough to actually play this game with. Okay. I mean, Death of a Salesman is obviously Kermit and Piggy. Like, and then, like, who cares if everybody else is? I don't want Kermit to die. Okay, it's right there in the title. Yeah, no. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Yeah, we're we're putting a hat on a hat. So <laughs> let's let's just stick with hat. <laughs> uh, hey, kid, where'd you get the lid? Where'd you get a lid like that? My <laughs> 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 
toes and why would you tell me where I find a hat like that? This is a song called Hat. Um, yeah, I, I didn't learn much interesting about it. It was pretty new at this moment in time. It uh, came out uh, on Roger Miller's 1979 album, Making a Name for Myself. And the only notable thing that I can say about it is this particular album cover is sort of delightful because he is literally making a name for himself. He's in the process of carving a, an L out of wood and he's like managed to get the rest of his name up to that point hung on the wall. It's cute. Oh, that Don't is like cute. the song. Nope. <laughs> oh, and it's like the creepiest of the whatnot children. Also, yes, but then it turns into a chicken after after the kid has only been on screen for a second or two. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, mul- it's multiple creepy whatnot children, but yes, they do all turn into cute chickens. You're right. It's fun. It's it's not top shelf Roger Miller, but it's fun. And he's having so much fun. Watching the Muppets turn into chickens. This is a good time. So we deviate from our uh, regular country programming in the UK spot. And I should mention, if you're watching this on Disney+, Plus, you're probably thinking, what UK spot? Yes, this is not in the Disney Plus version, but you can find it on YouTube. And let's just listen to a bit of it before we speculate as to why that might be. So this is a song called Down at the Old Bull and Bush that actually originated as a song called Under the Anheuser Bush, which is a beer garden song that was commissioned by the Anheuser Bush Brewing Company in 1903. So shout out to the not only the public domain, but to beer. Capitalism. Shout out to capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Yay, capitalism. So uh yeah, it, it was written by uh Harry Von Tilzer and Andrew B. Sterling. And yeah, it it's a, a pun on the last names of the the founders of the company. And it was recorded in 1904 by Billy Murray and by Collins and Harlan as a duet in 1905. Again, if you hate yourself, go seek out some wax cylinders. And it uh, crops up in Meet Me in St. Louis in an instrumental version at the Christmas dance. But this particular version was adapted for the British Music Hall as Down at the Old Bull and Bush and was made popular by a music hall performer that we haven't talked about yet named Flory Ford. And uh, like all of the music hall performers we've talked about, Flory Ford is a capital C character. Uh, oh, I she can't w- wait to add her to the file. By the end of this, we are going to have just a, like a murderer's row of characters that we can write, a, write a musical. an amazing musical about. Yeah, <laughs> Flory Ford was uh, born in Australia. She moved to London at age 21. And uh, among her most famous songs were songs that we actually know of today. Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag, and it's a long way to Tipperary. Which those songs also have World War One uh, significance, also peanut significance. <laughs> yeah, I only know that 
from Snoopy. I think it's a long way to Tipperary specifically is in Didn't. Snoopy Come Home. Oh. Or, or it's in it's definitely in Great Pumpkin. Because there's that whole section where Snoopy's like weeping for the right, right. the war. Yeah. Um, but also, you know me, I love to round up a fun list of British music hall song titles. She's a lassie from Lancashire. <laughs> Hold your hand out, naughty boy. <laughs> and now I have to call him father. <laughs> I, just, I just envisioned an entire short film by that name. <laughs> Filthy. <laughs> short film, you say? Yes. <laughs> Very short. Yeah. Uh, be- before we speculate, I just want to go back to the songwriters a little bit because they are fascinating people. Yeah. So first of all, Harry Von Tilzer was born Aaron Gabinski. His mother's last name was Tilzer and thought it sounded classier if he took that and added the Vaughn when he ran away to join the circus at age 14. <laughs> Good for him. But Tilzer wrote A Burden and Gilded Cage, which we talked about last week. And then together with Sterling, they both wrote Wait Till the Sun Shines, Nelly. Sterling also wrote the title song of Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, so they were pretty significant songwriters who both started out as like, uh, you know, kids who ran away to be in vaudeville. And I just think that's great. Neat. So let's talk about the actual staging of this. So it is a raucous scene in a like a beer hall. Like there, there is alcohol everywhere, <laughs> and not a Sandy Duncan to be found. <laughs> Who's going to do all these shots? It's also a very crowded scene because there's a, a band that has several members. All the tables have multiple characters. Like it's yeah. the dog from Dog Walk is here. Yeah, it's very elaborate, cute. and a cow. I'm wondering if it's less the actual alcohol on the table, but the fact that the song is derived from essentially a beer commercial. Yeah, I think it's that it it, it feels a little bit too much like advertising a specific alcohol company. The cut, Even the though they don't do the version with the name of the company in it it still just feels very very close i guess it seems so weird to me that like we've seen racist stuff and they smoke and drink and you know cindy duncan did all those shots and those are fine and to be clear i think those are fine i mean i don't think racism is fine but you know like to keep the shows on disney plus and put up a disclaimer i think is fine but this is where disney draws the line but they don't want to make any money for Anheuser Busch. Is that like I don't think it's a moral thing. I think it's a commercial concern. I guess I just think it's so far removed from the original. I mean, for what it's worth, the old Bull and Bush is also a real thing. It is an actual pub in England that is still there and still operating. Uh, famously, before everywhere was non-smoking, it was a non-smoking pub. Hmm. So is it that they can't plug a brand that's not Disney, or they can't plug a brand that is alcohol? Maybe both. Yeah. Some from column A, some from column B. Well, hmm. they put a lot of work into making this UK spot that did not make it to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Fun fact, the second Disney theme park was going to be in St. Louis, but they would have had to serve Anheuser-Busch beer, and Walt Disney said no. 
So maybe that's why. Maybe it's a longstanding feud with Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> I need to correct something that I said earlier when I said there were a lot of pigs. There are no pigs. It's just that they're sort of pig-faced whatnots. Ah, uh, yes. That makes sense. <laughs> well, I won't tell them you said that. Let's weasel our way out of the UK spot. <laughs> uh... Cluckitis strikes again! This time, it's Rolf turning into one chicken, though later, perhaps some sort of like mitosis situation happens and he ends up as two chickens. But he's only one chicken here, uh, playing Pop Goes the Weasel, which is very much in the public domain. It's a traditional English song, and it is used for Jack in the Boxes. Jack's in the Box. Jacks in the boxes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's used for those. <laughs> it's used uh, in ice cream trucks. It's used in lots of various kids' toys. And it has its own day. Apparently, June 14th is National Pop Goes the Weasel Day. I wanted to also bring a fun explanation of this song, courtesy of Anthony Newley. Goes the weasel. <laughs> You know, Pop Goes the Weasel. For years I've wondered what that meant, and nobody seemed to know. So I looked it up, and the official explanation goes something like this. Pop Goes the Weasel refers to the habit of London hatters long ago popping or pawning their weasels or accessories on Saturday night to buy liquor. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> up and down the city road. Anyway, I just love that. <laughs> that he just in the middle of the song is like, you know what? I looked this up one time. Here's what I found. Also, what a swinging arrangement for Pop Goes the Weasel. Oh, it slaps. (laughs) It's great. Look up Anthony Newley's Pop Goes the Weasel and improve your life immediately. It is also separately both an English country dance and a Scottish country dance with totally different choreography. When When it started playing, I thought it was I Saw Three Ships on Christmas Day in the morning. That one. And is it? Like, is it just the same melody? I have no idea. I don't know that song very it's well. It's similar. Yeah. yeah. There are probably well, other songs that with those three notes. Everyone. Yeah. So our closing number is a medley of Roger Miller songs. Well, I hear tell you're doing well. Good things have come to you. I wish I had your happiness. You had to do, I could 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 do. I see you going down the street in your big Cadillac. You got girls in the front, you got girls in the back, and way in the back, you got money in the sack. Both hands on the wheel and your shoulder. Yep, this is, and you had to do, I could do. From 1965, and it was a hit. Uh, it hit number 31 on the Hot 100 and number 15 on the Billboard Hot Country Singles chart. And let me tell you, the number of times that I typed Hot Country Singles in my notes, oh. I kept thinking, like, in your area? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Farmersonly.com. Because th- there are so many songs to talk about, I, I won't go in too deep on any of them. But You need to know everything about this song. You do, Yeah. 
Uh, you do wackadoo. You do wackadoo. I, I I love this song. I I, I think it's it's very clever because it, it it like captures like that that point when you're like so frustrated that like you can't even form real words. <laughs> I to me and like maybe I need to spend more time with it, which I'm not gonna do. Uh, <laughs> wackadoo. Wackadoo. <laughs> like it like has the 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 shape and like the gestures of a story song, but I cannot for the life of me figure out what's going on. I, and I feel the same way about, about uh, actually three of these four songs that like, it, like I just don't. And like, he's, I think he, he, like you said, he's, he's using nonsense words on purpose. It's, it's a choice. I, I understand that. Like, obviously he does not think that do I do is a meaningful phrase, but I don't so know. I, so here's my take on the song. I think this is, someone singing about their nemesis. Yeah, it uh, is. Right? And it's someone who's basically saying, like, I hear that things are going great for you, and that fucking sucks, and I want to bump you off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a nemesis, not an ex. That that actually helps. That makes more yes, sense. Yes, because it talks about, like, I see you in a car. Well, right. That was one of the women. things that confused me. Okay, yeah. that's that's helpful. Yeah, but it, like, devolves into, like, the nonsense songs. Like, A, because he can't say, you know, and fuck you uh, on the radio in 1965. But like, right. also, you know, I, I, I think it's that thing where it's like, you're just like, ah, but like, you know, made musical. <laughs> anyway, the next song is, is a little less uh, nonsensy. Dang it. One night for no particular reason, I wrote this little song. <laughs> dang me. Dang me. So this is Dang Me, which is probably Roger Miller's second best known song. It's from 1964. It hit number seven on the Hot 100, uh, number one on the Hot Country Singles in Your Area. It won the 1964 Grammy for Best Country and Western Song. And it is in the Grammy Hall of Fame. And it was really Roger Miller's first big hit. And it it's very fun. Like, that's the thing. These songs are just fun. It's dark. It's, it's a dark song. Oh, yeah. But also, you know. He, <laughs> he's- I mean, he does it with a smile, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like a song sort of about suicide. Yeah. It caught me off guard in the context of being surrounded by Muppet's chickens. I know it as a very brief moment in Good Morning Vietnam and on the Good Morning Vietnam soundtrack. It's one of the the Adrian Cronauer, Robin Williams bits uh, where he sings it as Da Nang Me. And it's like five seconds, but it was on the album. So it's like a clip that I've heard 8,000 times because I listened to that soundtrack a lot after that movie came out. So it was weird to actually hear it as a real song. Because I don't yeah. think I knew it was a reference and not just a thing that Robert Williams was saying. I do want to shout out a lyric that uh, that didn't quite make it into the clip. It's right after the clip ends. Uh, Roses are red and violets are purple. Sugar is sweet. So is maple syruple. Uh, yes, thank you. Syruple. Syruple. Yeah. Syruple. Good, good, <laughs> good job, Roger Miller. I, I have said some bad things about you this episode, and I, I appreciate you. I appreciate that lyric. Well done. Oh, yeah, as soon as yeah, he said that, the word purple, it's like, oh, this is going to be bold. And it was. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, and and that that whole verse is is great. He goes on, you know, I'm the seventh of seven sons. My pappy was a pistol. I'm a son of a gun. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> it's just great. It's pretty sharp. <laughs> Country music, not for David. <laughs> yeah. No. Same. But but I can I can admire I can admire what it when it's doing its thing well at least. The next song sort of lives in the same novelty realm as. I'm my own grandpa. A chicken ain't chicken till it's looking good fried. Keep on the sunny side. Uncle used to love me, but she died. Who'll bid me quarter thirty cents for a ring of keys? Three sixty-five for a dollar bill of groceries. So have me car on someday, but till then I need a ride. My uncle used to love me, but she died. My uncle used to love me, but she died. My uncle used to love me, but she died. Uh, from 19- I googled this one and came away more confused than when I started. Yeah, I need someone to explain this one to me. I don't know that there is a satisfactory explanation for this one. It's from 1966. It uh, somehow hit number 58 on the Hot 100. Number 39 in the country charts. Uh, number 45 on Cashbox. And that's all I got. I mean, I, I, I dug a little bit and... Some people pointed to the fact that Roger Miller was basically raised by his aunt and uncle, but I was like, that doesn't explain anything. I appreciate that all of these have this kind of, similar to Shel Silverstein, this this zaniness and this simultaneous lightness in the style of the song and darkness in the content of the song. Or in the case of Mankle, you still love me what she died. Like it, it sounds like it's going to be dark, but then it's also total nonsense. <laughs> Oh, I like that he's straddling this weird line. But who is the she? Your uncle. And why did the uncle stop loving? I I don't understand. (laughs) This reminds me a little bit of um, R.E.M. in the 90s, where many, if not all of their songs, the lyrics didn't make any narrative sense but they had a certain sound to them that was pleasing to the ear. And I sort of wonder if that's what he's doing here. It's like, there's not actually any meaning to these words. It's just about creating words that sound good together. Yeah, maybe that makes sense. We, we end on, on an only slightly more sensical note. <laughs> Yes, the most defensible part of that song. Um, we've heard this one before, too. Uh, this was uh, a number done previously by the Gogolala Jubilee Jug Band, Long May They Rain. This one's from 1966. It hit number 40 on the Hot 100, number 35 on the country chart, and number 17 on the adult contemporary chart, which I do not understand. <laughs> Hearing the chorus of chickens just reminded me that I really enjoyed all the, the chicken choreography in this number. They they have like little arrangements where they turn to each other and they sing along and and they... This is not a regular chorus of Muppet Chickens. It's a chorus of Muppets as Chickens. And there's a difference. And you can see it in the puppeteering. It's great. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. 
What? And get out of show business? Officer Fadi has arrested a pig for assaulting an officer. And uh, Link requires that this pig report the incident and reenact everything that he did to Fozzy several times, sometimes changing his mind about what he did. Thank you very much. Accuracy okay. is important. Yeah. Well, the next thing was I grabbed him by the collar and that. I made squishy, squishy with his nose. Uh, no, not that squishy. again. Please don't. Uh, come on. What? Man, I hated this. <laughs> Better than the last one, I thought. I just, I mean, in the last one, Fozzie just ended up in a cell. Yeah, I just thought it was funnier. I just keep expecting the setup of this, because I, I like, I think the, you know, like the theme music and everything, like, it, it's very, you know, clever and on point and then it just is Fozzie you know. looks quite fetching in a in a uniform. Yeah. Yeah. It's he, like Link being a doof, you know, in small doses is funny. But really it's just it's too much. It's too much. It's just Fozzie getting kicked in the shins over and over again. You know what? He's a cop. He deserves it. <laughs> All cops are bears. Well, Except for the ones, the that, ones are that are pigs, and yeah. also the, the perp that is a pig. <laughs> so in this well, case, it's, it's weird yeah. too because like that's that was a thing. Like it's not like we, it's not like people didn't call cops pigs in the seventies. So I just I, I'm curious, like where did Bear on Patrol come from? And like because Link is there, so I guess they already had pigs in space. And probably did not want to make a overt political statement by making all the cops pigs, but I don't know. Seems like low hanging fruit. Yeah. Also, this week on Veterinarian's Hospital, uh, everyone has already transformed into a chicken, and uh, nobody seems to mind. They're just clucking around. Doctor Bob, chickens do not quack. They do when they're young. They do. Sure. If you drop an egg, it'll quack. (laughs) Dr. Bob, are you ready for the first patient? No, I'm ready for the second patient. Oh, what's the matter with the first patient? I don't know. That's why I want the second patient. (laughs) Here here she is, Dr. Bob. Oh, no, another chicken. Yeah, if they keep bringing in chickens, we're going to be here 24 hours. What do you mean? We'll have to work around the clock. (laughs) So with the patient, that makes four chickens. I think I've spoken at length about how much I love when the Jerry Nelson narrator comes on at the end of the vet's hospital sketch and all of them look up in unison. It is even more magnificent when four chickens look (laughs) up in unison and wonder where the voice is coming from. It's true. I love it so much. Let's wrap this turkey up. These chickens sure make for a different show. Yeah. But it'll all add up to the same old turkey. (laughs) Before we go, we should talk about the very final moment of this episode when we get one last stinger from Statler and Waldorf. Let's hear it. I bet you were expecting chickens. Woof, woof, woof. (laughs) So what you can't tell from the audio is that although they are saying woof, they are not dogs, but actually possums. We Why? Think. I mean, that's that's what Muppet Wiki thinks. That they're saying woof woof that many times just to convince you that they're dogs, even though they, they're very strange. They're definitely possum, right. 
Yeah, they are Muppet woodland creatures. <laughs> They're definitely not dogs. The Muppets did not lack for Muppet dogs that they could have put up there. I don't know what's going on. Possums will make clicking noises when they're trying to attract mates, and hissing or growling noises when they feel threatened. Relatable. Baby possums make noises that sound like sneezing when trying to get their parents' attention. They do not, apparently, bark. That's a shame. Well, that's something to stew on and meditate on over the next two weeks while you wait for our next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Join us in two weeks for the Roy Rogers and Dale Evans episode of The Muppet Show. You can find us on whatever social media still exists at this point at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Don't forget to visit the store at Muppeturgy.com slash store. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kirsty Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. Yeah, but isn't this the one where he goes in search of the Daisy Hill puppy farm to find his mother? And it turns out that she's dead. I believe I mean, that's so, yes. Puppy farms maybe work. <laughs> that's how dog lifespans work. I mean, let's, let's right. be realistic about it. <laughs>